you have your Bibles, let's turn together to uh, Matthew chapter 8. I just want to thank many of you that were praying for my wife yesterday. She was actually doing a conference for Calvary Chapel Mountain Home, and it went really well. But it sort of wiped her out. She's not feeling well today. So, you know, that happens sometimes when you're, you know, just speaking the Word of God. It's, uh, there's, a, there's a spiritual element to that that can just sort of wipe you out that a lot of people really don't understand until you've actually been there. Um, but you know what? There's just a lot of fear. Anybody notice? There's just a lot of fear right now, you know? The most uh, searched word on Google is like coronavirus. Surprise, surprise. Uh, and so people are, are afraid. And, and, you know, the biggest fear that, that grips people is the fear of death. Okay? That really is. There's a huge fear of death. Uh, because, you know, if, if, you, if all you have is this life and you lose it, then what do you have? You know, Nothing. And so, and so that, that is a reality, but, but the Bible tells us that God is perfect love, amen? And he, he demonstrates perfect love toward those who love him, to those, those who receive his truth concerning his son, Jesus Christ, who put their trust in him. And, uh, and, and we're told that God's perfect love casts out all fear, Amen? Casts out all fear. You know, the the Lord doesn't want you to be afraid. And here's the truth. If you fear God, which is to hate evil, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the Bible says. In other words, you don't even start to get smart until you start to fear God. Amen? (laughs) But if you fear the Lord, you really don't need to fear anything else. Because God's in control. He loves you. And he's working on his plans for your life, and he will work all things together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. So I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad you risked the coronavirus to come to church. And, uh, and I, said last, I said last week, you know, if you're sick, stay home. So everybody must have taken my, my advice. So I told them that they wouldn't lose their salvation if they stayed home. And well... Hopefully they're really sick and not watching television or something. Anyway, <laughs> if you have your Bible, as I said, let's turn to Matthew chapter 8, uh, verse 28, as we continue through the Bible. And I'm always just amazed at how relevant the Scripture is. I shouldn't be because, you know, it's what I do and <laughs> I sort of believe that it is. But it just still amazes me as you just go through the Word, how relevant it is. So we see now, now what happened was they had just gone through a panic situation, right? The disciples were on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is sleeping on the boat. Uh, the big storm comes up. They think they're going to die, which, you know, it tells you it had to have been an amazing storm because these guys are just used to being out. Uh, they're fishermen, many of them. And, and, you know, and so they're just like shaking Jesus. Wake up, you know, don't you care? We're going to die out here, you know. And so Jesus gets up and he's just like, where's your faith? I said, let's go over. So if, you, if, we go, if we're going over, you can't go under, you see? Uh, so he rebukes the wind and calms the waves and all. And, and so now they get to the other side. Now this is on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. So when he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men. 
coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off from there, there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. And so when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly... The whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. And those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. Interesting. You know, when I, I, I read this story, I think about, about a situation. Uh, one of our first trips to Romania, uh, they took me to this little remote village, and there were uh, a lot of gypsies living there. Um, and on the way, this was way out, and I don't even know where we were. I couldn't even tell you on a map, because I, I was just sort of being driven there. And, and we come, and, and there's this guy. There's like this guy, he's, he has no shirt on, he's just wearing this like shorts, and, and he's just like wailing, railing, you know, and, and just, and, 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 and as we're talking, I said, who in the world is that? And the guy, said, oh yeah, that guy's just, he's, he's, he's out there, he's crazy. You know, and I've always just thought about that guy. When I read this story, you know, and I, and I here's this guy, now, now, now Matthew says there were two men Mark and Luke just talk about the one who is probably the crazier of the two, the more, you know, prominent of the two. But, you know, we're told that he was naked, that they tried to chain him up, and and he would just break the chains. He was under this superhuman sort of strength because of the legion of demons, many demons that had possessed him. And, uh, and then he, he'd scrape himself with rocks and cut himself and, you know, and scream. I mean, just cry out. So there was just no rest. He actually lived in tombs, okay? Lived in the tombs. This guy was out there. But he was a tormented soul. And I think so many of us would see somebody like that and we'd just say, oh, yeah, you know, pff, don't mess with that dude. Not Jesus. Because Jesus saw, beneath all of that, he saw a soul that he cared about, that needed to know him. And I think sometimes, Lord, would you just please give me your heart and your vision for people? Because we don't see people like that. You know, even God said, you know, man looks on the outward, but God looks at the heart. And, uh, and to see people the way Jesus sees them, to see the potential in people that only Jesus can see, you see. We need that sort of supernatural vision. And uh, so Jesus sees this guy, he goes there, and now, um, you know, it's interesting to me, and it's sort of a good place to bring it up, as, as you, if you compare these, these accounts in, in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they all talk about this. Um, they, they give you different details. Now, now, some people have a problem with that. They say, well, you know, is there two or is there one? Well, yes, 
<laughs> there was two, and then there was the one that was really the one that Mark and Luke really talked about. You see, the thing is, is that you have to understand something about human nature, and that is when different people observe a different event, whatever it is, it could be a car accident, it could be a sporting event, whatever it is, they're going to see different details, you see. And, and they're going, when you say, well, what happened? You know, everybody's going to tell you something different that they saw that interested them, you see. And, and the fact that the Gospels do that, the fact that you sort of have to put all of the, the viewpoints together to get the complete picture, um, to me, that just testifies that it's real, you see. You know, it's like what Peter said. Listen, we didn't follow cleverly devised stories when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses. And so the fact that they didn't, you know, they didn't go, okay, let's just like make a religion here. Come on, guys, let's, let's agree on our story here. And, and it, No, these are just guys that were relating the things that they had remembered, that they had seen that were important to them. And so you piece these uh, viewpoints and you get the whole picture here of what was going on. Now, it's interesting that um, they, they have discovered this site. Since the 3rd century, um, they marked where this was on the eastern shore, which was the, the, the side that, that sort of opened up into the, the Decapolis, the ten cities that were inhabited by the Gentiles. And so it sort of explains why this illegal profession of, of raising swine was going on on the east side. Because, of course, the Jews couldn't eat pork, weren't supposed to anyway. Uh, and so, uh, but they had discovered uh, in, in 1970, it's sort of interesting. Now, the, the town today is known as Kersey, um, but as they were clearing land for a, a new road to the Golan Heights, a bulldozer turned up large quantities of Byzantine pottery, and, and then they began to unearth the ruins of an ancient structure. And, and so, the, so the bulldozer stopped. They had to call the Department of Antiquities and Museums, which is what they are always doing over there in Israel whenever they discover something. And, uh, and so then they had to begin to excavate it scientifically. And the site revealed the remains of the largest known Byzantine monastery in the Holy Land. They had built it right on this area where this miracle um, had taken place. And, and there are the cliffs nearby and the whole bit. And so um, I'm just going to sh- Okay, so am I? Where am I at here? I guess I got my things out of order here. I did. Okay, well, we'll come back to it. <laughs> Sorry about that. So you're saying, what the heck is that? <laughs> so I got my things out of order. I, I'm out of order myself, okay? So I'll show you that later. Anyway, so they discovered this monastery, and, and it's there where the cliffs. And by the way, it's going to be cool because that's going to be one of the places I want to go visit when we go to Israel next year, this time of next year, amen? So, so, uh, so there... They revealed this, and, and it's, it's cool. It's up on this hill, just, the whole, just like the, the Bible says. Now, it's interesting to me how the demons react to the presence of Jesus here. 
And, and suddenly, when they see Jesus, they cry out, saying, What do we have to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Now, the first thing is, they want to avoid him. Notice that they say, What do we have to do with you? Now, if somebody said that to you, you know, you, they say, they, they, you see them and they say, well, what do, we, what do we have to do with you? You know, you, how would you take that? <laughs> you would take that like, well, I guess this person doesn't want me around, right? So the first thing is they, they really want to avoid Jesus. They, they really don't want to be around him. Now, by the way, when you are dealing with people who are filled with darkness... Okay, they're following Satan. They don't necessarily know that. They probably don't know that. But they're full of darkness. And, and, and they just don't like you. You know? They don't, they, you invite them to church. They're not interested. You bring up the, the, about Jesus, about your testimony. They don't want to hear it. Understand that, that, that the power that is controlling, they are under the power of Satan. Amen? That's what the Bible says. And he doesn't want anything to do with the light. You know, they, they want to stay and remain in darkness. And the demons are just like it. They don't want to come into the light. And, of course, Jesus is brilliant light. Now, understand here, because of that, you, you, you and I have to be wise. You know, you are the light of the world. That's what Jesus said. But if you just shine the light in somebody's eyes like a flashlight, I got this LED flashlight at home. Oh, my gosh, that thing is bright. If I went over to your house while you're sleeping and just, you know, stand in your bedroom, by the way, I wouldn't do that, okay? I'm not that creepy. But if I came over and just, you know, shine that in your, you'd be going, ah, you know? You're not ready for it. And see, you have to understand that we have the light of the Lord, but people who are living in darkness, you know, you can blind them, you can hurt them. By shining too much light. You know, so you have to be wise about that. That's why Jesus talked to the masses, the people that didn't really know him, and, you know, they're just the regular people. He talked to them in parables. You see? So, so this is the, immediately they want to retract from Jesus. Uh, they don't want anything to do with him. Now, they know that he is the Son of God. Notice here he says, you know, what do you want us to do? What do you have to do with us? Jesus, the Son of God? They know who he is. Boy, do they know who he is. Okay? Uh, and, and so they want nothing to do with them. And, and they said, How, are you here to, to torment us before the time? Now notice here, they understand that Jesus ultimately is going to judge them. He's going to punish them. And they know it. And they know it's going to happen when God determines it to happen at the end. Okay, so, you know, are you, why are you here? They're scared. Understand, they are scared of Jesus Christ. Now, listen, the demons and, and the demonic world is not scared of you or me, per se. But they are very scared of Christ in you. They're, they're scared of the name of Jesus. They're scared of the blood of Jesus Christ. And they will seek to avoid that. However they can. And, and here's the thing. I think one of Satan's greatest weapons against the church today is fear. He wants you to be afraid of his power. He wants you to be afraid. Why should we be afraid to share our testimony with other people? Why should we be afraid to go knock on those doors that meet the neighbors? 
All we're doing there is radiating the love of Jesus for lost people. Why should we be afraid to share the good news of Jesus Christ, the best story there is out there, that you don't have to die and go to hell and be separated from God for eternity, but there's a God in heaven who loves you, who doesn't care about all the things you've done wrong in your life, wants to save you if you'll just trust in him. Why should we be scared to share that message? But we are. And why are we scared? Because there's a real devil that tries to intimidate you. He tries to intimidate me. He tries to just bamboozle you so you don't understand the authority that you have, not because you're anything, not because I'm anything, but because we belong to Jesus Christ and he's dwelling in us. See? So, so this is, this is, understand this is where that whole demonic realm is in comparison to Jesus Christ. Now, we don't see a whole lot of demonic possession like you see here in the, in the Gospels. There, I've mentioned this before. There seems to have been a lot of it probably to prove the power and the authority that Christ has over the demonic realm and over Satan. But there have been some many documented cases of demonic activity and demon possession. Now, there's a book written in 1960 called Demon Experiences in Many Lands. And it's available online. You can just Google that or send me an email. I'll send you the link. Uh, it's, it's available online. It's interesting because there's, there's a number of pe- missionaries, many missionaries, working in the field that have had various instances of dealing with demonic possession or, or other things that were very obviously uh, caused by demons, and, and they relate their stories in that. One of the most famous cases of demonic possession was in the Philippines, 1953. I found this story interesting just because, you know, but David's over there, and we're going to be sending a team over there at the end of this month. It's the account of Clarita Villanueva. She was a 17-year-old prostitute who was in the Bilibid prison in Manila. Now, to know a little bit about her background... She, uh, as a girl, her father died when she was very young. Her mother was, uh, she would do like seances. She would uh, have people over and really lie to them uh, just to see them, do fortune telling, that sort of thing. She wrote, you know, was raised in that kind of an environment. When she was 12, her mother died. Now, with no means of support in that time, you know, she, you know, like in the early, probably late 40s, early 50s, uh, she, she uh, the, the only way for her to earn any sort of a living was to become a prostitute, which she began, you know, she was introduced to a group of them, and, and that's what she began doing. So here she was, she, she, at the age of 17, she made the mistake of propositioning a, a plainclothes police officer and was thrown into this prison there in Manila, And um, two days after she was incarcerated, she was bitten severely on her body by two unseen and unknown entities. They bit her neck, back, legs, and arms simultaneously, sinking their teeth deep into her flesh and making indentations. Now, the guards just heard the screaming going on and came running into into the women's cell 
And the female inmates there pointed to her writhing, and she was writhing and, and being tormented in her cot. So then they took her to the prison hospital for observation treatment, where all the doctors declared that they'd never seen anything like this. A lot of the bites, the, the, there was bleeding beneath the skin, okay? Uh, and they'd never seen anything like that. It actually made worldwide headlines. I searched this out. You can actually find the, 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 the photos and stuff. And this is what I was going to show you here. Oh. Okay, just, yes. Okay, that, that one. Do I have control? I have control. You know, every man knows that whoever has the clicker has control. Amen? You fight for the clicker. Okay. I appreciate you helping me out, dude. I seriously do. Um, okay, so this is actually was a newspaper photo, okay, at the time. It made worldwide headlines. This is a picture of, of them trying to restrain her during one of these demonic attacks. Um, now, at the time, there was a, an American pastor in Manila named Lester Sumrall. And he heard about the girl and he began praying. And he, heard the, he heard the news report on the radio. And, and he began praying for her. He began interceding. interceding. He prayed all night. And he, and he felt like God spoke to him to go. And he didn't want to go. He really <laughs> didn't, want to, he didn't want to go to the prison. But, he felt, but the Lord just said, look, if you don't, I don't have anybody that will. And, and so he said, okay, Lord, I'll go. So he went to the prison, and Clarita was brought into a special room where he was waiting with a large group of reporters. Because they, they, by this point, it was just a huge deal. So there's a huge group of reporters, university professors, medical doctors. They're all like, they're, they're thinking she's some sort of psycho weirdo. I mean, you know, it was all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and Clarita was being led into the room. When she saw the pastor, she screamed violently, I hate you, he replied. And he replied, I know you hate me. I have come to cast you out. So it was a demon speaking, you know, through her, uh, pointing him out. And this whole group of people just focusing right in on him. Uh, and, and so this confrontation that he had took three days. Okay, this is how, you know, you think about the time when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. The disciples are trying to cast out that demon. They couldn't. Later they said, Jesus, why couldn't we? And, and he said, well, this comes only by prayer and fasting. So, so there are those, the, these demons that are particularly, what, stubborn, difficult. They're resistant. Um, and, and three days uh, before she was delivered... Um, and but when she was delivered, she she relaxed, she smiled, she said he's gone, because because she was able to see the, the, there's actually these two entities. She she alone was able to see them, and she said he he went out the door, he's gone. And Pastor Lester then uh, wrote a book about it uh, called Bitten by Devils. Now you can get this online. You can you can get a PDF of it. You can read it. Um, it's, he all documents it, and, uh, and he, I, I never knew this guy before, but he had a very amazing ministry, actually, the interview with Billy Graham and him, and, and uh, so he had, he's, this guy's legit, okay? So, um, 
But anyway, this, it's interesting that th- this is what she looked like afterwards. Okay? Pretty young gal, just uh, delivered in her right mind. Um, they, they ended up doing a, a documentary, actually sort of a dramatization of it, called Bitten by Devils. This is when they were producing it. The, the woman in the center is the actress. But uh, he is, that's really uh, Lester there with the glasses. Um, but anyway, and so these things happen, okay? They happen. But one of the points that he brings out in his book is that one of the things that the, the devil really tries to do is to make us afraid. And even people uh, who, you know, preach can just neglect to talk about the authority that we have in the name of Jesus Christ, okay? So, so that was kind of his point with the whole thing. Now, what was interesting about this, he goes on to say, you know, uh, that because of this, because um, he then got all of this press, right? Um, and the, the mayor of Manila said, you know, what can we do for you? And he said, well, this is what you could do for me. He said, I'd like to do a, a, a series of revival meetings in your public park for like six weeks. Will you let me do that? And he said, Okay. And so as a result, there were like thousands and thousands of people that came to know Christ over that revival. And he said, look, none of that would have happened had this not happened, you know. And so you see just how Satan comes. He seeks to mess with people. He seeks to do things for evil, but how God is triumphant, you know. I love that verse where Paul talks and he says, God, that the Lord always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. And Jesus has this amazing way of taking what Satan intends for evil and turning and using it for good. Amen? So, interesting story. Again, just email me if you want any of this information, and I'll be happy to get, share it with you. Now, we, we see that a good way off from there, there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine. Suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Now Mark tells us that the herd of swine numbered 2,000. And so uh, probably the reason that this was all going on is, like I said, this was sort of the gateway to the Decapolis or the Ten Cities Occupied by the Gentiles. Evidently, demons do not like to be disembodied, and that's why they pled with Jesus. Okay, you're going to cast us out. Oh, this guy will let us at least go into the demon or into the, the, the swine. And so Jesus said, Okay, go. Now, <laughs> you know, did Jesus know what was going to happen? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm sure he did. As soon as they, these, this legion of demons uh, goes into the, 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 the swine, and I don't know if they went into all 2,000 or a few or how all that worked, but you know, they all st- the swine are so startled by what happens, they all stampede off the cliff into the Sea of Galilee. And, and there's two problems that are solved. Number one, the demons are removed. Number two, the illegal industry of swine production is removed. <laughs> you know... You ever wonder what happened to the demons after that? You know, because they're not going to just stay in these drowned pigs, right? Uh, what happened to them? You know, 
I, I think we have the answer where Jesus said uh, that in Matthew 12, 43, he said that when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes to dry places seeking rest and finds none. So yeah, that's why they want to be in, in they want to be embodied. They don't like being disembodied. And when they're disembodied, they're like sort of homeless vagabonds, sort of just wandering about in arid places. That's what Jesus said. And so, uh, and so they were cast out into that sort of wherever the demons go, <laughs> uh, wandering around. And, uh, and uh, so... Now then, those who, who saw this fled. Now think about it. If you are employed to be a swineherd, I don't know what they're called. Uh, not a sheepherd, but a swineherder, whatever. And, and, and you know that there's 2,000 head of swine there for which you're responsible that have just stampeded off a cliff. They run into town. They, they think, oh, we're in trouble, man. We're going to get nailed there because uh, the owners are going to think we're responsible. So... So they run into town to, to tell everybody what happened, hopefully before Jesus gets off the scene and their alibi goes uh, out the window. And so, uh, so they bring the whole city out to come meet Jesus. And when they, they saw him, they begged him to, to, to depart from their region. Why? Because they were, were told they were afraid. They were afraid. What were they afraid of? Were they afraid of losing their livelihood? Were they afraid that Jesus was going to be bad for business? What were they afraid of? You don't know, but they, they didn't want Jesus around. And so Jesus didn't stick around. You know, Jesus won't stick around where he's not wanted. He just won't. And so he, he, so he would leave. But it's interesting because the man... Uh, wanted to go with Jesus. Now, Mark tells us that Jesus wouldn't let him go with them. You know, he wouldn't let him get back in the boat with them as they crossed back over. Uh, but he said, instead, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And so he departed and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Now, can you imagine that? Here's this guy that you've seen naked down by the seashore, you know, and, uh, and now he's going around, hey, Jesus, he set me free from all these demons, you know, and he, he starts sharing his story, and everybody marveled. He was the talk of ten towns, the Decapolis, you see. Now, what's interesting is that when Jesus comes back, everybody comes to see Jesus. At this point, they want him to leave, but because of this man's testimony, when Jesus comes back again, everybody comes out. Why is that important? Because just like with this, this Clarita, you know, the thing is, is that God wants to use stories like this. And he wants to use your story. Because you have a story. You know, just like we have, we all have a different DNA, okay? We're all different. Isn't that amazing? You can, you can have 18 kids. I'm not recommending it. But you could, and they'll all be different. They'll have a different temperament. They'll have a different look. They'll have a different personality, whatever. God has made us all different. Do you know that he's given us each a story that is different, that is uniquely ours, that is going to relate to somebody? 
And you should take that story and you should be proud of it because it is the way that God reached down in this world to you, a sinner, undeserving, and snatched you up and brought you into his kingdom. And that's worth telling. Amen? And we need to be, we should be bold about that. We should be, you know, not obnoxious, but, but own it. I think some people, you know, well, I don't really have that great of a testimony. I mean, I was just raised in the church. What? Look, you have a testimony. It's, it's, you have a testimony. It's going to relate to somebody. Just share it. God saved you because he loves you. That's enough testimony. <laughs> and so this guy just shares. And Jesus says, go. You can share. Share what God's done for you. So, that, so he does that. And what happens? Lots of people come to Christ. Because this guy shared. And because everybody knew who he was. You know, don't, hey, don't let your sordid past keep you from sharing what God has done for you because you think, oh, well, yeah, I know what they're thinking of me. So who cares what they're thinking of you? It's not about you. It's about what Christ has done for you. And just say, yeah, that's, I, was, I, was, I was an idiot. <laughs> I was a jerk. But Jesus has changed me. And he, and he wants me to tell you that he loves you and he can, he can do the same for you. So you're not a jerk. Uh, <laughs> or whatever. I'm not recommending you say that. That was, that was a joke. Okay. I don't recommend going to people and saying, you know, you're a jerk. Jesus loves you. Uh, might work with some people. Who knows? <laughs> so now he got into the boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Now, behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. And when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. Now, Mark tells us that this event occurred in a house in Capernaum. Now, so many people had gathered there wanting to be healed, okay? And it was packed out way more than any of our life groups, by the way. Uh, and and people couldn't even get into the front door. There were so many people. Now, these guys, these four men, uh, we're told, and I think Mark tells us that, they, they're bringing this guy on a, on a bed or a cot. You know, he's, a para, he's paralyzed. They're probably his friends, I would imagine. They get there. Now, what would you have done? You know, these guys, I love these guys because they have so much chutzpah, you know? <laughs> It's like that. Most people would have just said, well, I guess it's not the Lord's will. There's no way to get in there. We better go home. Not these guys. You know, well, we obviously can't get in the front door. So they climb up on the roof. Now that in and of itself, can you imagine just trying to get this guy so he doesn't fall off the mat, you know, and they're trying to get him up on the roof. And, and, uh, and so, so then they start ripping through the tiles on the roof. Now, this is not socially acceptable, okay? 
I get, you got to just love this. I, I just I picture the scene. Jesus is in there. Everything's packed. You know, suddenly, you know, the dust starts coming down from the ceiling. You know, they look up, and here's these guys. He's lowering them on the mat down to Jesus. And what does Jesus say? He, he looks at them, and, he, and, and, he, and he, 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 he sees their faith. Whose faith? The four guys. Their faith. That they thought, if only we can get our friend to Jesus, you know, maybe he can walk again, you know. Got to try, you know. And Jesus sees their faith. I love that, because not everybody would be looking at that. Other people would be looking, and, you know, the guy that owns the house would be thinking, how much is this going to cost me, you know? (laughs) Other people were that, that, you know... We're the first to get there, you know. We're are going to be saying, "Well, that's not right," you know. That's not socially acceptable. Uh, <laughs> not Jesus. He just sees our faith. And notice here what he says. He says, "Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you." Now that's not what these guys wanted to hear. The four friends. What do you mean? His sins are forgiven. Look, we brought him so he can walk. What are you talking about? His sins are forgiven. You know, he can't even do anything. How can he sin? You know, it's like... uh, (laughs) But Jesus here is always seeing the spiritual and preferring the spiritual over the, the material and the physical. See, we're not like that. We, we don't emphasize the spiritual. We emphasize the physical. That's the plane on which we live. That's why, you know, everybody's very much concerned about the 3,600 plus people that have died from the coronavirus worldwide. You know, but how many people are really concerned about their spiritual well-being where they're at, heaven or hell? You see? Because that ought to be our concern. We're all going to die. But when we die, are we ready to meet God? Have we received Jesus Christ or our sins under the blood of Christ or or not? See, that's the way we ought to be looking at things. That's the way Jesus looks at things. And that's why Jesus said, look, son, take courage. Your sins are forgiven. You. That's the big need here. You know, to walk is good, but to be saved from your sins is better. It's eternal, see? And so, uh, now the scribes and the Pharisees are thinking to themselves, who is this guy? He's speaking blasphemy. Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. Now, they're not saying this, mind you. They're just thinking it. Now, Luke tells us that the, the, the Pharisees had gathered from everywhere. From Jerusalem, from Judea, from all Galilee. They're all coming here because they've heard about this miracle worker, preacher Jesus. And they're coming here to evaluate. Is he of God or is he of man? You know, Just like they did with John the Baptist. And, and so they're all gathered having the big council here, the religious council. You know, oh... He's speaking blasphemy. They're finding fault. He can't forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. You know, we know he's not for real. 
Bingo. And so Jesus, now it's dangerous to think in front of Jesus, by the way. When are you not in front of Jesus? As David said, wherever, wherever I go, there you are, you know. Wherever I go, you're always there. I never escape your presence. You're always there, no matter where I go. So the Lord is always present. He always, not only does he hear what you say, he knows what you think. And Jesus knows what they're thinking. And so he, he addresses that. He says, why do you think evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise and walk. Now, the point is that anybody can say, hey, your sins are forgiven. How are you going to know if they are or not? You know? You say, well, maybe they are, maybe they are not. Or not. Who knows? Only God knows, right? Only God can do it. So, so he's saying, you know, it's easy for me to say that, but, but if I say, arise and walk, well, now immediately I put my reputation on the line. If the person arises and walks, great. If, if he doesn't, then I've just shown myself to be a phony. I don't have power. So he says, so, so that you may understand. Now, you've got to love how patient Jesus was with these Pharisees. I don't think I would have been so patient. I think I would have been a Pharisee in my handling of the Pharisees, okay? I, I'm just telling. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, but he was very patient with them. And he said, okay, so, so you can really know that the Son of Man has been given authority by God to forgive sins. Rise, take up your bed and walk. You know, and he gets up, and everybody's like, Wah! you know. They're marveling at what Jesus did. But really, a lot of it was for the benefit of the Pharisees to see, look, your theology isn't working here. Because obviously God has given me the power to do this. So, now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly Father. Notice here, they, they, they were glorifying God. That's as it should be. And as, and as God gives you authority or he uses you uh, and, and he ministers to people through you and, and God gifts you in, in ways, listen, if you're doing it right, they're going to glorify God, not you. And by the way, I, I don't ever want any of you to put me on a pedestal. Not that any of you are, but <laughs> I don't even want to go there because... I'm just like you. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And God has given me certain gifts, but he's given you certain gifts. And as God uses those gifts and he works through you to minister to people and people are blessed, you just give the Lord the glory because it's, it's ultimately his work. Where would we be without the Lord intervening in our lives and giving us purpose and meaning and gifts and salvation? Where would we be? It's not about us. It's about the privilege of being able to serve a wonderful God and be able to be a vessel that he can use to touch other people's lives. And we all do that. Amen? And that's what Jesus said. Look, so, so, so practice your gifts. Give your testimony. Do your good works. Love on people so that they will glorify your Father in heaven. 
And, and that's what they did here. So, a lot of fear out there, a lot of power of Satan. The Bible says that those that, that are not following Christ, they're under the power of Satan. But God has sent us to bring people out of the powers of darkness and into the light, out of the power of Satan, into the power of God, out of death and into life. And there's only one way to do that, and that is through believing in Jesus Christ. And in whatever your physical state may be here today, whether you're sick, you know, whether you're just dealing with financial problems, whether you're struggling with some besetting sin that you can't get victory over, whatever your situation is here today, Jesus loves you, and he wants to forgive you, and he wants to... That sin does not have any foothold in your life. And he can do that. By his authority, he can do that. If you believe that. And if you're willing to, as the Bible says, reckon yourself to be dead to sin but alive to God. You may need God's help, absolutely. But if you just say, Holy Spirit, help me. Free me. You know, make me a new creation. Help me live for you. Help me give my testimony. Take away this fear. Use me as a light in my office or whatever. You know, I'm available to you, Lord. Then he'll take you right where you're at. And he'll use you for his glory. Don't let fear grip your soul. God's perfect love for you casts out all fear. And don't let the enemy come and just torment you because of your failings. Listen, the fact that you have failed just shows that you need the cross of Jesus Christ. You need the blood of Jesus Christ. And he paid for it all, if you'll believe that. Amen? So if you haven't yet put your trust in Christ, I want to give you that opportunity. And if you have, but you know that you just need a a double dose of the Holy Ghost, let me tell you. We're going to have people here today to pray with you to receive the baptism, the filling of the Holy Spirit. You say, why is that necessary? Because there's a world out there that's lost. And Jesus said, I want you to tarry in Jerusalem. He said this to his disciples. I want you to wait until you are endued with power from the Holy Spirit, and then you will be my witnesses. And many of us, we need that fresh endowment of power from the Holy Spirit so that we can recognize that we are on task, we're on point, we're filled with the the Holy Spirit, and we are ready to do business against the powers of darkness in the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? There's a lot of people. that Maybe they're not possessed by Satan, but they're definitely oppressed by Satan. And they need the life that comes through trusting Christ.